look at our, our text this morning. If you, uh, Exodus chapter 4, verses 18 through 31. The scripture says there, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Sipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then said, that she said, it was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs which he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, speak to us by it. Work in our hearts, convicting us of sin, confronting us with your truth and causing us to believe Bow our heads and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may not be able to believe it, or maybe you wouldn't be able to picture it, but in middle school I had a head full of brown hair. Beautiful brown hair. Now, I was particular about it too. It wasn't that I had this fancy hairstyle or anything, but it was just a simple part from this side over, but I was very particular that no pieces of hairs be sticking up. So maybe you've done something, I'd go to the faucet, get some water on my hand and make sure that it sat down perfectly. It just had the perfect part of hair there. You see, as, a, as young children and growing into teenage years, we are so worried about what we look like. It's, it's as if everybody in the room when we walk in their eyes are centered on us. It's like we're the center of the universe. We have this tendency, especially in the early uh, years, later childhood and the early teenage years, to worry about our physical appearances because we think everything else revolves around us. Adults, do you think we still have this tendency, though, to think about everything's about us? I think we do. It just, it just shows itself in different ways. Maybe it's not. Uh, the way we look, maybe it's not our physically, physical appearance, but it's how we feel. 
It's all about how we feel. It's about how uh, we come across to others. It's about what we want, what we desire. Perhaps we're like extras in a movie who keep jumping out and saying the, the star, the, the, the lines of the star actress, wanting to get our spot in the limelight. We all have this tendency to think it's about us. Even in the church we do that. But what if many of our problems, many of our sufferings, many of our frustrations, what if they were due, at least in part, because of this? Because we thought it was all about us. You probably remember the lines in Rick Warren's book, the first line, it's not about you. It's not about you. And until we find ourselves in the background of God's story, until we, we remember that God has the starring role and that it is all about Him and His glory, only when we do that will we be able to make sense of this world and where we find our place in it. Our scripture this morning teaches us several things, but one thing I wanted to pull out is that this story, the whole Bible, Exodus, and this particular passage is all about God and His glory. Your life is not about you, but it's about God. It's about Him receiving glory and honor from everything we do. In our text today, we see salvation itself is ultimately not about us, but about God's glory. We see that even our obedience, though we are the ones who do it, is ultimately about giving honor and glory to God. And we see that worship is about God's glory as well. In our story, we see that God continues to speak to Moses after the episode of the burning bush. He gives him instructions. Okay, Moses, go back to Egypt now. The people who were seeking your life are gone. They're no longer there. It's safe to go back. He tells him, do all the miracles Say all the things and do all the miracles that I have put into your power. He tells him what to say to Pharaoh, verses 22 to 23. And then he even speaks to Aaron. This is the first time we see this. Telling him to go meet with Moses. God continues to speak. He gives instruction and he also gives information. A very odd piece of information. Look at verse 21. There God tells Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. To harden means to make stubborn, to make firm, to make unwilling to uh, accept the request. Well, doesn't that seem to be the exact opposite way to go about getting God's people free from slavery? To harden his heart? I can imagine if I was Moses. God, you just said harden. Did you mean to say soften, soften Pharaoh's heart? Did you mean to say you will soften? I think that's what you meant. You will soften Pharaoh's heart so that he will let your people go. Isn't that what you meant, God? Wouldn't that be a better way to go about doing things? No. Jim, I said I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let my people go. That's kind of like if cops were going on a rescue mission and they said, They're going to, we're going to rescue this boy, but we're, here's what we're going to do beforehand. We're going to make sure all the doors are locked secure so that nobody can get in and out. Uh, we're going to do that so that we won't be able to rescue him. 
Seems to be the exact opposite of what the Lord wants to do. But sometimes God works in ways that we don't understand. We can be sure of this. God is free to do what He wishes. Even if we don't understand it. And in His freedom, He is working all things together for His glory. So God is sovereign. You've heard that term before. That means that He is in control of all things. It means that He is free to do what He wishes. And here He wishes to harden Pharaoh. We get a great glimpse of the freedom of God in this passage. He is free to harden the heart of Pharaoh. But He's also free in that He shows mercy to Israel. Verse 22. Look at that. Shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. God shows his freedom in hardening Pharaoh and showing mercy to Israel. What is it about Israel that he has decided to place his love on them? Why? Why does he show mercy to Israel and harden Pharaoh's heart? Couldn't he have easily years and years before, gone to Pharaoh's ancestor and said, I choose you to be a part of my people. I'm going to show mercy to you. It's not that Israel was good in themselves. It's not that they were uh, greater than all the other nations. In fact, in another place, it says that he chose them because they were the smallest. Because there was nothing significant about them. It wasn't because they were righteous was simply out of his good pleasure and freedom to do so. Years before, he had chosen Abraham and said, I am going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation and you are going to be a blessing to all peoples. And it was just out of his good pleasure. His firstborn son is what he calls Israel. Even though he had adopted Israel years before. He now treats them with all the special privileges and rights of a firstborn son. All the blessings, all the inheritance. He tells Pharaoh, let, him, let them go that they may serve me. They will be freed in order to serve God. Turn in your Bibles to Romans, a part of the New Testament. Romans chapter 9. Romans 9 verses 14 to 18. And here again, he, he mentions Pharaoh in this passage, which is why I bring you here. We see the freedom of God at work in His hardening and in His showing mercy. Romans chapter 9, beginning at verse 19. Excuse me, beginning at verse 14. Romans 9, 14 and following. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills. 
and he hardens whomever he wills. God hardened Pharaoh for his own glory. To show his power that his name might go forth among the nations. And he showed mercy to Israel for his own glory. It may have seemed odd to Moses that this is the way he was going to do it. But God had a plan and his plan would result in him receiving glory and honor and praise. The salvation of the Israelites was due wholly to God's grace. And it pointed back to God's glory. It's the same for us. God's greatness is seen in our salvation. Our salvation is ultimately not about ourselves, but about God and His glory. Do you see the greatness of God's grace in our salvation? We're like Israel. There's nothing in us, inherent in us, that makes us worthy of salvation. There's nothing good or righteous in us. Nothing owing to our own merits or goodness. But it is completely God choosing to have mercy on us. This is a great mystery. But it's a great mystery that points back to the glory, glorious riches of God's grace. While we were yet sinners, the scripture says, Christ died for us. The scripture says, Christ died for the ungodly. Not for those who were worthy of it. Not for those who were more intelligent to receive it. Or those who saw that it was a better deal. Jesus Christ came to the earth and died for pitiful sinners like us. And it shows God's great mercy. Our salvation, even our salvation is not ultimately about us. But it's about God having mercy. On sinners. This shows us another truth. When it seems like God is doing something completely different than what you would expect. Or what you would desire. We should remember that God is sovereign and that He is working for His glory and for our good. When it seems like your loved one just will not turn away from their sin. They just will not straighten up. They just will not see the light and follow God can be sure that God is in control and that as you pray for this person day after day and as you continue to witness to them you can be sure that God is working behind the scenes he is in control and he's working for his glory and for the good of his people ultimately our salvation is not about us but about God and so is our obedience after Moses's interaction with God on the mountain in Midian He obeys God, right? Verse 20, Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and they went back to Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand, just like God had commanded him to do. This wasn't just a day trip back to Egypt. They were moving back to Egypt into enemy territory because God told him to. The staff of God, which God commanded him to take, would remind him of his presence with him. And of God's power to do all that He had commanded. By every appearance, it looks like Moses is completely obeying God. But there's something missing in his obedience. His obedience was incomplete. And there was at least one part in his life where he was not obeying the will of the Lord. 
was this. He had not yet circumcised one of his sons. Circumcision was a covenant sign to Abraham way back when. When the Lord chose Abraham, He said, You shall circumcise all of your sons. And this will be a sign that you are a people of you are a part of the people of God, that you belong to me. This is a sign that God had placed his love on his people. If you didn't have circumcision, you weren't a part of his people. You were cut off from the rest of his people. You were cut off from God. And Moses had not fulfilled this command. We see the seriousness of this offense by the punishment. The Lord sought to put Moses to death. Zipporah, Moses' wife, completed the circumcision ceremony and Moses' life was spared. You see there in verses 25 and 26, this is not that Zipporah was angry. It was a part of her completing this circumcision ceremony. She was doing right. You are a bridegroom of blood to me may have been the words spoken in connection with the ceremony, with the circumcision. There's a wonderful lesson about obedience here for us. By all appearances, we may be obeying the Word of God. By, by all appearances, you may be obeying the Lord. Someone looks at you and sees that you are following God. You attend church on a regular basis. It looks like you have your house and your family in order. It looks like you are keeping God's Word, but there is some area of sin in your life. Nobody else can see it. Nobody else can point it out to you and show you that it's there. But there's some hidden sin, some hidden fault, which you have kept concealed. Hidden sin is like decay in a tree. The tree may appear to be fruitful and alive, but deep within it's rotting. It's like termites in a house. Where the house looks like it's sturdy and secure and yet it's dying from the inside out. What is it for you? It may be a sin of, of commission. Lashing out with your temper. Nobody knows it but your family. You haven't dealt with it yet. You haven't, you haven't dealt with this and brought it before the Lord and repented of it. Maybe it's a sin of omission. Not doing something that the Lord calls you to do. Let me ask you this, how is your prayer life? Nobody can see that. Nobody knows what your prayer life is like except for you and God. Is this the hidden sin that is corrupting you from the inside out? Bible reading? Is it your giving? Nobody else knows what you give except for you and the Lord, maybe the treasurer. But in some way, we are sinning against God a hidden way. And we think we're okay. We haven't brought it before the Lord. But like Moses, we need to understand the seriousness of our sins against God. We need to understand that because of His holiness, because of His glory, He demands obedience to His law. You know, we may not understand all of His commands for us. Perhaps Moses and Zipporah didn't quite understand. Why do we have to do this? Nobody else... This is not something anybody else can see. Why do we have to obey this command? They are still binding on us. It's like how we parents give instructions 
to a child. And they may not understand the instructions, but we know that it's for their own good. Like when we went to the Mexican restaurant and we said, do not touch the hot plate. Do not touch it. It will burn you. And someone, I won't say who, pulled the, pulled the safety uh, cloth off and touched their finger to the hot plate. And slowly a blister welled up on his finger. Just because we don't understand God's commands doesn't mean that we don't have to obey them. In fact, what does it come down to when God commands us to do something and we, we don't understand why so we don't obey? What does it come down to? It comes down to trust. Do we believe God? Do we believe that He has laid down rules for us that are good for us and that will result in us giving Him glory? Our obedience ultimately is not about us, but about giving glory and honor to God. It's not about whether we understand His commands. It's not about whether we want to keep His commands. It's about God and what He has commanded for us to do. In verses 27 and thir- through 31, we see how the people responded to the news that they had received once they had all carried out the news. Aaron had heard from God and met with Moses. Moses told him all about what God had said and about his plan. And they gathered all the people of Israel and Aaron and spoke the words of the Lord and did the signs in the sight of the people just as God had commanded. So he doesn't get specific about the signs. He doesn't tell us specifically that he did the one with the staff turning into the snake or his leprous hand or the blood being poured out. But we believe at least he did the first two. He did the signs that the Lord commanded him to do. How did the people respond? How did they respond? Do you remember how Moses was thinking they might respond? Who should I tell them has sent me? Lord, when, when I go, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe that you sent me. I'm the one who murdered that Egyptian. They're not going to believe it, Lord. He, he was worried. He feared how they would respond. And how did they respond? They believed. When they spoke the words that the Lord had told them to spoke, when they did the signs that the Lord had given them to do in front of the people, the people glorified God by believing And by worshiping Him. Verse 31. And the people believed. Now this is not just a believing of the facts. It is that. It is believing. The people believed what Moses told them. God had done and said. They believed the facts. The way it went down. But it's more than just a believing of the facts. It is is an entrusting themselves to the Lord. They heard this news. And they gave themselves to the Lord. They believed in God. They believed in Him. They heard the good news of their Savior. And then they bowed their heads and worshipped God. To worship God in this way is to ascribe greatness and glory and majesty to God alone. And worship is something fundamentally in the heart. It's not just something that shows itself outwardly. First, it begins in the heart. Something that you can't see always. It is a a deep feeling of affection. a, A standing in awe of who God is and praising Him. 
Perhaps we could say this was a kind of conversion for the Israelites. They bowed their heads and worshipped Him. They, they haven't been rescued yet, but they heard the news that their rescue was coming and they worshipped the Lord. There would be times of testing. The people would waver. Even Moses would waver. But this at least is an initial response of belief. An initial response of believing God and worshiping Him. When we hear God's Word, when we hear the good news of Jesus, when we hear the Word of Christ to us, the proper response for God's glory is to believe and to worship. To believe what we had heard. To believe what the good news says and to worship God. It is a believing not just the facts, but in entrusting our hearts to Him. Entrusting our lives to Him. That's what it means to believe. James says, you believe? Good. The demons believe and shudder. But the demons have no salvation in themselves. They do not entrust themselves to God. They do not give themselves to Him. They believe in God, but they do not entrust themselves to Him. And a proper response to hearing God's Word is worship. That means dwelling on the goodness and greatness of God. Dwelling on His majesty and His glory. Consider for yourself, when you come together to worship, do you worship? Remember, if, it's, if worship is something fundamentally that takes place in the heart and not outward ceremony, do you worship? When you bow your head to pray, are you just taking a little nap? Or are you worshiping God by agreeing with all the prayers that have been said? When you stand to sing, are you just standing up and getting a little exercise for your voice box? Or are you worshiping God? Are you engaged in worshiping Him? And when you hear the word read, when you hear the word preached, are you just hearing certain words that come into your ears and into your mind? Or are you allowing them to cause you to worship? To dwell upon the greatness of this sovereign God? Throughout the service, do you think about things that you wish would be different? I wish we could sing this song. I wish the style was a little bit different. I wish that the preacher would say this or say that. I wish we could do that. If you're doing that, you are not worshiping. How can you, how can you worship when you're doing that? But to worship God is actually a self-forgetfulness. A getting lost in how wonderful and majestic and full of grace Jesus Christ is. Do you ever get just lost in who God is? Do you ever just forget where you are because you're focused on Jesus and His glory? You know the words to the song. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And some of us need to Say with the author of that song and repent. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it. I'm sorry, Lord, for the I've made it about me and my desires. I've made it about my feelings and what I want when it's all about you, Jesus. Steve Saint 
is the son of Nate's saint. Maybe you remember the end of the spear <clears throat> through gates of splendor or a couple of um, works about them. Nate Saint was a missionary with Jim Elliott to uh, a tribe in Ecuador. They, were, they worked hard to, to reach these people who were known as just savages who killed everyone who came in contact with them. And so they, they did eventually. They earned their trust. They landed on the beach and went to speak the gospel to them. They had, a, I think, a couple days of, of talking with them, maybe even more, until tragically, they killed all five of the men who were witnessing to the grace of God to them. Nate Saint was one of them. Steve, his son, has spent his life continuing the mission to those people, many of whom were saved. As a result of their work. He spent his life trying to spread the gospel. And one of the unique ways that Steve Saint does it is by coming up with technologies. So that those people, those tribes people can uh, more easily take the gospel to those who haven't heard yet. Coming up with different (laughs) transportation technologies. Different things so that they can get the gospel out. Recently in one of their projects, uh, Steve was injured. Tragically, a tragic accident. He was paralyzed while testing some equipment. And I saw a video not long after the accident. And Steve said he finally understood what uh, a woman said years ago to him. One of the women whose husbands was lost in that missionary, uh, in those mission to those tribesmen, was asked, did you ever find out, did you ever ask God why, why this happened to you? And she responded in a way that shocked Steve Saint. She said, you know, it never really occurred to me to ask God why. It never really occurred to me. Steve said he, he couldn't imagine that. He couldn't imagine someone going through so much, not even wondering. He had asked why in that circumstance. And yet, in his, after he was paralyzed, he came to... See it the same way she did. She said, he said, I never understood it until this happened to me. I guess it never occurred to me to ask why. See, it wasn't about her. It wasn't about him. They knew it was about God. Now, all of us will ask why from time to time. But isn't the goal to remember That it is not ultimately about us, but about God. Steve Saint, recovering from his uh, paralysis, interviewed with a newspaper recently, and he he said this, My motto has been, let God write your story. And that's what I've always done. You have a lot of people nowadays who want to write their own story and have God be their editor when something goes wrong. I decided long ago to let God write my story. When we come to the realization that it's all about God, that our salvation is ultimately not about us, but about God's glory. When we come to the realization that our obedience, even though we participate in it, we are the ones that do it or or neglect to do it. When we realize it's about God, it takes on a whole new meaning. And we can obey, not trying to earn our our salvation or earn God's pleasure, but doing it because of His greatness and graciousness. When we understand that our worship is not about us, 
but about God. Then we will begin to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray that during our closing song, we would respond to the God just uh, to God just in the way that the Israelites did, with belief and true worship. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we have made life about ourselves many times. We have made worship about ourselves. We have made our obedience about ourselves. We have made our salvation about what we have done and what we have earned. Yet when this text confronts us, we realize it's all about you and your glory. So Father, as we take this time to respond, I pray that you would work in our hearts just as you did that, that faithful day when we trusted in you, work in our hearts yet again to draw our eyes away from ourselves and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Calls us to understand that our growth in holiness will not come about by focusing on ourselves, but by focusing on Jesus. Calls us to understand that worship is only worship when our eyes are fixed on our Savior Jesus. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.